warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies, with just a hint of professionalism, with Scott, with Tony. Good morning. Good morning. It's episode 13. Wow. Unlucky. Yeah. But, do you know what? I was just working out. I put out the previous episode, obviously episode 12, the Carry On Sergeant episode this morning. And we've actually kept on track 12 episodes in a year, because we started in June. Oh, bloody hell. Which is surprising because we thought we might have managed to do a few more, and at one point it looks like we were struggling to do one a month. Yeah, but we've um... we've averaged it out. Oh wow, that's not bad, is it? I'm quite chuffed with that actually, mate. That's good. Um, before we go into today's review, which was my choice, which is Hell Drivers from 1957, I watched a James Bond movie last night. Oh. Um. One of your favourites, Mr. Brosnan. Oh, okay. And it also coincides, unfortunately, with um, the death of Eunice Grayson yesterday, the very first Bond girl in Doctor No, which we reviewed. She died yesterday, aged about 93, bless her. I watched Tomorrow Never Dies. Okay. Which is the second Brosnan movie. I've got to say, I prefer it to Goldeneye, which I think is your favourite. Yeah. Possibly your favourite Bond as well, like Bond movie full stop, isn't it? I yeah. I think. But the cracks are starting to show a bit in some of the Brosnan stuff. I mean, it's not to the level of Die Another Day. And I think I prefer the one after it. Was it Tomorrow Never Dies? I can't no, remember. No, no, sorry, it was After Tomorrow Never Dies. The World Is Not Enough. The World Is Not Enough. I think I prefer that out of all the Brosnan ones. But you like GoldenEye, didn't you? It's your favourite. Yeah, I like that one. Because um, it's your first. And A View to a Kill. That's a weird one, isn't it? Because that is people's like least favourite yeah, Roger like Moore and I love A View to a Kill as I well. think it's quite good fun <laughs> I've got a very good soundtrack they've all got good soundtracks but Duran Duran in that's quite a good one is that, that what sells it to you the old Duran Duran soundtrack yeah. I just I just like it's just completely over the top and Roger Moore is just so old <laughs> <laughs> but then again I think Daniel Craig is sort of hitting that sort of age now isn't he and he's just in pre-production for the new one I think he's in his 50s, isn't he? Exactly, and they was like really kicking up a sting about Roger Moore being, I think he was 54, when View to a Kill was being filmed. But there you go, it just goes to show, doesn't it? 54 in 1984 looks completely different to... He's only got a year to go and he retired in 55, he works for the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be, be his last Bond anyway, isn't it, they reckon? Yeah. So. It'll be a, a, a female Bond, I reckon, next. They really mix it up. <sighs> like Doctor Who. Yeah. yeah. You reckon? 
black female lesbian <laughs> vivisectionist vegetarian <laughs> vegetarian <laughs> vegan <laughs> drives a Prius no more Aston Martins unless it's a battery powered it'd be a Tesla with machine guns that fires recycled bullets. Uh, you're a fan of the Daniel Craig stuff. We've had this conversation um, before. But... I don't know. You're not, are you? Know. I don't think you are. No, no that's the thing. I'm not sold on Daniel, on Daniel Craig. Craig. No. no. You ready to talk a bit of Hell Drivers? Ready to talk about it and know it too well. <laughs> Let's play the trailer. <laughs> Hurtling down the one-way street to destruction. Starring Stanley Baker as Tom. Using another man's name. But forced by his own past into the vicious circle of the Hell Drivers. Scum. Patrick McGowan is Red, their brutal boss. Violence is the only language that he understands. Herbert Long is Gino, the Italian, and Peggy Cummins is his girlfriend, Lucy. Ah, oh, you look so pretty tonight. But is she really Gino's girl? I suppose you're the type that I'd see two men shooting it out of you. As long as you win. Hell Drivers, living so close to death, that any love is reckless, any hatred fatal. Hell Drivers, Tony, released in the UK, 26th of July 1957. Know it well, good year. <laughs> Directed by Cy Enfield. Now, in the credits, he's listed as C. Raker Enfield, probably better known as the director of Zulu. With Stanley Baker. The film stars Stanley Baker, Herbert Long, Peggy Cummings, there's Sid James, Patrick McGowan, William Hartnell, Wilfred Lawson, Jill Ireland, Alfie Bass, Gordon Jackson, David McCallum, and Sean Connery. Until you read it out like that, you don't realise what a bloody great cast it is. The synopsis on IMDb is really shit. It says ex con trucker tries to expose his boss's rackets. But yeah, in short, that's pretty much it, <laughs> short, isn't it? It doesn't get much shorter than that. So It is pretty much that. First time watch for you. You watched it last week. I did. I've watched it twice in the last two or three months. Liked it, loved it, hated it. Uh, I liked it. Liked it? I liked it. I didn't love it. I thought you might have loved it. No. No? I, I liked it. Okay. What did you like about it? I like the um, the characters. Yeah. I like the characters because it's all the the famous faces I like and yep. love and know from everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it a bit slow. If really? I'm yeah, I found it a bit slow to start with. See, I didn't think it was a slow movie. I thought there was quite a lot of action, not rip roaring fight scenes and things like that. Though there are a couple, but you know, there's a lot of driving scenes and stuff. Oh, there's a lot of driving scenes, but I just it's all a bit slow for me. 
Um, oh, that, that surprises me because I, I thought this had your name written all over it. This one. I, don't, I don't think it's a bad movie. Yeah. Um, I like watching it. But yeah, it's just it, I think it just took a while to get where it was going. Okay. Um, was the plot a bit too convoluted? I mean, guy goes to get a job in a trucking company. For years they're a bit ruthless in their methods about you know how they work and operate. But then you've got this backstory of him being an ex-convict. Yeah. And the sort of love story hovering in the background between him and Peggy Cummings as well. You know, Was there too much going on? Um, I don't think so. It's no. sort of like, I think back then, it was sort of a dumb thing, you know. Yeah. Go to driving. Mm. Um, you never found out why he was in prison. I don't think he actually said, did it? No, he never says at all. No. But uh, there's something happened with his brother, I'm sort of assuming. This is what I was thinking. Wasn't and the, the mother. Co- mm. um, there's some sort of family incident. And he keeps mentioning the guy's name at the start of it. Oh, you know so-and-so and so, don't you? And that's what sort of lands him the job, because he's met some guy. Who's had an accident driving, has yeah, got a plate we- put in his head. So he's taken his job yeah. and gets his truck. Yeah. I'm wondering if it was some sort of driving incident that's put his brother on the crutches. Yeah, in the sweet shop, wasn't it? Yeah, and then obviously, like mum, like when he goes back to mum's who runs this shop, she's like, "I'm the one that puts the the money on the table in this house now, the food on the table in this house, not you. You you abandoned us when yeah. we were in prison." But um, there's some real resentment there, isn't there? Yeah. Stanley Baker, star of the film. Come across him before, apart from Zulu. You know Zulu, didn't you? Yeah, you've seen Zulu. Zulu. Um, off the top of my head, no, but I'm pretty sure you're going to rattle off a few. And no, I'm no, go. no. I'm, I think Zulu will probably be the more familiar or the most familiar movie you'd have seen Stanley Baker in. Um, I like Stanley Baker. I don't think he gets the recognition he deserves. I think he was a fantastic actor. What did you think of him in this? Um, yeah, I think he was quite good. He, um. He played quite a sort of a reclusive part, didn't he? You know, he's very... It was a bit wary, isn't he? Because he's just been released from prison. Yeah, so he's a bit institutionalised still. And he he tries to play it safe. He doesn't want to cause any ructions because he doesn't want to go back to prison. Yeah. Which leads to all the conflict in the second half of the film because there's a fight in the dance hall. Yeah. And he doesn't get involved because he doesn't want to get arrested. That's that's the whole reason behind it, because and he, he doesn't want to go back. Yeah, and he legs it, and then he gets called a coward by all the other... Yellow belly. Yeah, by all the drivers. This cast is fantastic. I can't reiterate, you know, some of the stars that are in this. I mean, Herbert Lom playing Gino. You know Herbert Lom. Have you seen The Lady Killers? The evening comedy. Yep. Yep, well, he's in that. But then you'll know him from, if you've seen them, that is, the Pink Panther movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Clouseau's boss, Inspector Dreyfus. Oh, bloody hell. Yeah. In, well, okay. obviously, 20 years on. What's interesting about Herbert Lom in this movie? He plays an Italian. Quite a likeable character, actually, Gino, isn't he? He's, he's, yeah. Because he's, he sides with Stanley Baker throughout all the problems and ends up getting killed trying to help. Stanley Baker during the movie. Herbert Lom plays an Italian, but he was actually Czechoslovakian. Oh. Well, he was born in Czechoslovakia, I think. Yeah. But um, grew up in London and the US and became quite a big star in the 50s, you know, from the Ealing stuff, like we said, from the Lady Killers. And then right through until he died in his 90s, 
a couple of years back, you know, but he was quite a famous face, Herbert Lom. I think in the story that Stanley Baker and Herbert Lom, they sort of have the same sort of feeling, didn't they? They're the outsiders. Yeah, yeah. What is it, Herbert Lom, like Gino, he says um, he was he was only in England because he was a prisoner of war. That was it. And then he carried on working over And he it. liked it, he said, but he misses the blue skies of Italy. Yeah. And he's going to take, is it Lucy, isn't it? He's going to take Lucy back with him to to Italy. But she doesn't know yet. Yeah. He's going to marry her. She doesn't know. <laughs> but Lucy's having none of it because Lucy fancies Stanley Baker. Yeah, Stanley Baker don't want any of it. <laughs> you could see that on Marlock, couldn't you? When he first walked through the door and her eyes lit up. Well, she does start flirting. Yeah. And but then she does play a bit hard to get by sort of shutting the door on him and saying, "Do you like home cooking?" And he says, "Only if it's good." And she's like, "Well, I'm a really good cook," and just shuts the door. You know, things. Like Peggy Cummings. She only died about a month or two back as well. She was quite a famous British actress. She was in a couple of American movies. I think it was Gun Crazy in America. Talking of female characters, there's three in this. So you've got Peggy Cummings playing Lucy, the waitress at. The truck stop is a very young Jill Island. Okay. Jill Island meets David McCallum on set. David McCallum is the brother in the shop. You know, David McCallum went on to be the man from Uncle and is in CSI, one of those American things now. You don't watch a lot of that American stuff anyway, do you? But he's he's still on American. Yeah, he's a foreign mug. He's still on US TV now in his 80s, 90s, or whatever he is now. Um, they met on set and they got married quite famously for 10 years. There was a big sort of famous couple at the time. And she left him 10 years later. Bastard. Yeah, and married Charles Bronson. Oh, wow. Quite famously and like another, and then appeared in loads and loads of Charles Bronson movies throughout the 70s. And she passed away quite tragically. I think it was cancer in her 50s, you know. Um, but she went on to quite a big, big career. Now, the third female actress is only in it briefly... Now, I need to mention this to you because it brings in one of your favourite films. The lady in question, I think her name's Vera Day. Yeah. Okay, it is Vera Day, yeah. She plays Blonde at Dance. Blonde at Dance Hall, yeah, right. You probably wouldn't recognise her from this movie, but think back to possibly your first or second all-time favourite movie, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Works in the boxing ring. She's the one that organises the card game. Game, right, okay. Yeah, the old cockney bird with the yeah. hair hanging out of her mouth. Yeah. That is Vera Day. No way. <laughs> Quite a stunner back in 1957. Bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, Cowley, in it, from um, Gordon Jackson. Now, that's the thing, Gordon Jackson's in this. He's in some great films, isn't he? Yeah, Great, great escape. escape. And David McCallum was in The Great Escape. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Which is in the end credits if you listen that far on this. It is actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sean Connery. Yep. There's a bit of a uh, misconception that this was his first you know, talking part, but he, had, he was in two or three movies prior to this. And not in A Night to Remember. And definitely not in the night to remember. <laughs> we, we had the photographic evidence now, don't we, that that officer is not Sean Connery. It's just a man with big bushy eyebrows. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. But again, you could see... I don't know, is there any inkling that Sean Connery will go on from this movie to become 
the international. No, it's not, is there? No, it's he's just... quite wooden in this, isn't yeah. he? He's, he's, he plays like the big lump lump of uh, Scottish muscle, basically, in this that has about two lines to say. Yeah, you didn't, didn't you think you'd go on to be in James Bond? No, no. Um, but then again, when he did his first James Bond, you'd never think he'd carry on being James Bond, did you? <laughs> That's, That's true. No. That's true. But I'll tell you who else is in this. Obviously, Patrick McGowan, who plays Red. He was also up in contention for the role of James Bond at the same time as Connery. He was seriously considered to play James Bond. Ah. You don't know much Patrick McGowan stuff apart from this, obviously. I mean, yeah. Patrick McGowan, the surprising thing about Patrick McGowan, overacts like anything in this movie. Yeah, completely over the top. Yeah. How good was his Irish accent? Uh, it was alright. It was alright. He's Irish. <laughs> it was alright. Do you know what? I, I don't even think he was. Yeah. He's, no, he has got Irish parents. Oh, wow. He was born in America and they came back to Ireland when he was six or seven, so you think he should be able to do a decent Irish Yeah, accent. I didn't think it was all that. At, but... No. But the whole thing about Patrick McGowan, I mean, I love Patrick McGowan from sort of the TV series that he did in the 60s, like Danger Man, The Prisoner, one of my favourite, you know, TV series ever. And he always plays this sort of suave, cool, in Danger Man, like a secret agent type thing, a bit James Bondy, you know. Seen Braveheart. Sadly. He's the king. Longshanks. Oh, bloody hell. With okay. the beard and the long curly hair. Yeah. Throws his son off the, uh, or his son's mate off the castle. Oh, blimey. Takes the young French queen, Sophie Marceau. That is, that is him. That's Patrick McGowan. Oh, Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's surprising, isn't it? There's there's some stars that just went on to bigger and better things, you know. And these are the very early roles for them. Sid James, Sid James, well, the shit stirrer. He's in there. He is real trouble in this. Yeah, well, he's not. Tr- he's just a shit stirrer. That is all <laughs> he is doing. He has got his spoon out. And that is all he's doing. Well, it starts off, does he? He starts off all chubby, doesn't he? He's like, hello, I'm... It's Dusty, isn't it, I think? Isn't yeah. He's hello, I'm Dusty. Oh, you want to sit at the top of the Go table? take a seat. Yeah. And do you know what? I actually hated him for doing that, innit? <laughs> it's the first time I think I could say that about Sid Jones. I'm probably going to get lynched in the street for saying it now. But I actually disliked him in this movie. Really? For this. Yeah. Because then there's also the bit in the dance hall where he's muscling in on this other bloke's bird. And doesn't he tell him that he has to go out? There's a phone call for him or something. And yeah, the bloke yeah. comes back and he's and he's definitely like trying it on with this with Vera Day actually, isn't he? It's her, and and that's what starts the full blown fight in the dance hall. And second time in two episodes, William Hart. William Hart is going to be on the wall. He's soon. nasty in this. He is. He's ruthless. Like, it, there's not one likable bone in that man's. But he starts off as just this snappy. Arsehole. Arsehole, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just just got no redeeming features, no good qualities about him whatsoever, that man. But there's a reason behind it when you get to learn that he's the one that's extorting the money out of the company and he's the one behind all the dodgy dealing. All him and Red. On, yeah. Him and Red. The works foreman. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the action scenes. I mean, obviously it's 1957... You've got these wonderful old trucks. I mean, you must have loved looking back at some of the old vehicles. And yeah, then that, that was good. Because that's some of your favourite 
sort, yeah. of, sort of, you know, things that you look for in a movie. It must have sort of hit home a little bit for you because you're a truck driver now. That's that's your your occupation. Yeah. Amongst other things that you do. Yeah. Wheeling and dealing. <laughs> <laughs> All I can say is in the fifty odd years or whatever it is, sixty years. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of difference. <laughs> is there not? It's still going on today. Yeah, it's um, not quite as harsh environment, but um, it's not a lot of difference. It is quite brutal what they're expected to do in this. I mean, the story is uh, they have to collect gravel from an aggregate pit, and it's a 10-mile journey there and back, isn't it, I think? Yeah, 10-mile radius. 10-mile there and back, I think, yeah, yeah, to drop it off to the you know the tipping point. And they're expected to do 12 journeys Minimum a day. of 12. But then they get bonuses for everyone that they do over the 12. They get bonuses for the cleanest truck at the end of the week. Yeah. Um, the record is 18, which is held by Patrick McGowan. This is what the whole crux of the story is, isn't it? That there's this, this unbeatable record that Red, Patrick McGowan, has got. And if anyone beats him, he's got a gold... Cigarette case, yeah, something like that, worth about two hundred and fifty quid back in nineteen fifty-seven. That will, you know, go to the guy that beats the eighteen, the eighteen trips. But you find out the reason he is unbeaten is he's taking this shortcut, yeah, through the quarry, through the quarry that nobody else will take. He's too dangerous. The man's an man's insane. He's an animal, a pissed all the time, drinking behind the truck. Yeah, how? Many scenes did you see him without that cigarette in his mouth? Uh, not many. Not many. Even when he was talking, he's talking through a cigarette. See, this is the thing. This is the overacting thing. He was just overdoing that I'm a tough guy driver sort of thing because he had that swagger. Yeah. But it was over-exaggerated swagger that was a little bit off-putting. But I don't mind an over-the-top performance now and again in the movie, to be <laughs> honest, because he, he made it for me, you know. Um and he comes across as a as a right nasty villain. Yeah. That will do anything to get what he wants, which is to stay on top. But he's quick to um, make comment when they find out that Tom's been in prison. Yeah. That he's a convict. Yeah. Yeah, this guy himself has put a metal he's, plate in someone's head from what we could gather. And, and he's, he's doing all this underhand dealing about... I, th- I think the actual the storyline is that William Hartnell and Red are in in sort of league together because they're not hiring enough drivers but they're getting paid to hire X amount of drivers that's what it is isn't it yeah. so that's why they're being pushed to do the extra runs and they're pocketing the difference in like two or three extra drivers wages or something like that and it sounds like a lot of money as well because I think it was about £24 that guy um, Tom was shorted out wasn't he so he that's was short- a lot of money a hell of a lot of money and that's then. what causes the fight yeah well it adds to the fight. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of drama in this. I mean, there, there, there's a death. Obviously, Herbert Lom dies trying to... They're trying to deceive Red, aren't they? Yeah, Basically, they swap the plates swap over plates the on the trucks. And, yeah. Which um, I never really understood. I'd just, swap, I'd just driven another lorry. Well, they go by the numbers, don't they? That's the thing on the cars, on the on the, on the the front of the trucks. Yeah, I know, but he's like, oh, we've swapped the number plates and we've swapped the numbers over. Yeah. Just drive his truck. <laughs> oh, yeah, can you I think just, of that? I just, I'm thinking there's a lot of hard work going on there because they all look the same. Yeah, they're anyway. all the same lorry. Just <laughs> jump in his truck. I didn't even think of that. 
Um, it's not very light-hearted at all. There's no... There is a bit of sort of comedic sort of side to it. I mean, at the dance hall, when see James is, you know, muscling in on Fear of Day and... But there's no sort of light relief throughout this at all, is there? No. They're a strange bunch of guys. You know, they all live together in the same bed and breakfast. Yeah, by that, um, with that scary woman in charge. The mother. Oh, my Old Ma or whatever my. her name was. Christ. But then you can see like a twinkle in her eye because she she fancies Stanley Baker as well. Yeah. She gets him to pull a corset together right at the beginning. Yeah. And as she's taking him round the house, you can see she's like, Chuckling to herself as she's telling him what's Dirty expected. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, give us a rating for it. Out of five. Uh, I think I'll give it a three. See, I really thought you'd go higher. No. I really thought you'd enjoy this a little bit more. Unfortunately, I thought it was quite slow. And then when it did sort of like the end bit with the chase across the quarry. Yep. And then the truck crashed, and Lucy turns up in the jeep. And, oh my god! And all this all that. It was all tied up a bit quickly. It was. It was. I timed it. It was three minutes. Because <laughs> I was looking on my iPad and I was watching. I'm thinking there ain't enough left on this film. It must be cut short. Oh right. I'm, yeah. I must have lost some of the footage or something. Yeah. And I'm looking. I'm thinking there's five minutes left, and there's still a lot to explain and go on. Yeah, because he's still got like 18 runs to do or something. Yeah. He's still... <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this chase has just come out of nowhere. Yeah. William Hartnell's jumped in the truck. Well, doesn't Red drag him in there? He says, you're coming with me. Yeah, you're coming yeah. with me. Then literally all of a sudden it all blows up and it's really intense. And then he just crashes. The end. <laughs> oh. oh. Oh, I hadn't cut any of it off. This is actually the end. That that's, is it. I, I think that's probably what was given... A, a lower mark from you then is is the ending. Yeah, I mean, well, about all the way up to that ending. I mean, you know, you've got you've got some quite exciting scenes of like trucks trying to you know avoiding crashing and fights going on, and you've got this storyline going in the background about the the jail sentence. And would you recommend it to anybody? I'd recommend it. Yeah, yeah. I'd good. say watch it. Um, but it's not a. I like it, but it's not a favourite. Wow. See, this is where we differ then. Yeah. Five-star movie for me across the board. Blimey. I love this film. Even IMDb, like you said earlier, it's quite a high rating. Um, IMDb was... 7.2. That is high for IMDb. Actually, Rotten Tomatoes, 84%. Yeah. Which I think... I'm not familiar with Rotten Tomatoes and their sort of scoring systems, but I'm assuming 84 is quite good, you know. Um... There's a couple of reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, actually. Somebody, Most of them are, are positive, you know. Uh, the thriller is appealing for its no-nonsense approach. Um, <laughs> a pretty good movie with good actors like McGowan. Um, but then somebody's given it like one and a half stars. Oh. And they've put a very old-fashioned melodrama about gravel delivery. Only a cast of actors who went on to better things, including Sean Connery, make it of interest. <laughs> But it is. If you try and sell this to people, it's about a load of truckers delivering gravel. Stanley Baker is 30 years old. He's tall, dark and rugged. And yet, as his acting has so often proved, there's a gentleness behind the toughness. Right now, Stanley Baker might still be down a Welsh mine, but for... Well, since he's in the studio, let's get him to tell us his story himself. Welcome to our programme, Stanley. Um... 
Just why exactly is it that you're not down a Welsh mine? <laughs> well, I think it all started when I was 14 years of age, Mac. I was doing an end-of-term school play in the village I was born in, Ferndale, in the Ronda Valley. And a director came down from Ealing Studios to looking for locations. He saw this play I was doing and took me back to Ealing, and I did a test and got the part. Uh, that was the first thing I ever did in this profession. Then, six months later, I was 14 years and six months old, Emily Williams did a play in the West End called The Druid's Rest, and I got a part in that and um, started acting on the stage, and I suppose that gave me the real taste for acting and, and the theatrical profession. As easy as that? Well, that was as easy as that, yes. Then things got a little tough, of course. Um, I went into rep. I went to Birmingham rep for two years. Uh, I did several tours around Great Britain. And then I was called up into the army. I came out of the army, came back to London looking for work. I stooged around for about, oh, I don't know, 18 months without any work. And finally, um, I got a break in the Cruel Sea, the film of the Cruel Sea. I was in America at the time in a Christopher Fry play. I read the book. I wanted to play the part of Bennett very much. I came back from America, rang up Charlie Friend, who was directing the picture, and managed to persuade him to give me a test for the Cruel Sea, and I got the part. Surely, playing Bennett must have had certain drawbacks. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, Mac. Uh, there was, there was the danger at the beginning, playing a part like that and a couple of other parts that followed, that I would be typecast. There's always there are actors' fears of being typecast, but fortunately this didn't happen to me. I managed to uh, mingle with the villains a certain amount of sympathetic parts. Which of your film performances has come nearest to what you set out to achieve? <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's a really tough question, Mac. An actor sets out to achieve what is asked of him. He's given the script and... Uh, he sets out to play the part to the best of his ability. Stanley, somebody once told me that you might easily have become a professional fighter. Is that true? Yeah, I suppose that's true, Mac. I, did, uh, I was very interested in boxing. I did a lot of amateur boxing. But um, I never really got around to being a professional. But this, I think this uh, boxing experience has held me in pretty good stead and for the films I've made because I always seem to get mixed up in some kind of a scrap. Well, where there's scrapping, there's toughness. The sort of toughness that Stanley dished out in films like The Red Berry, Hell Below Zero, and Hell Drivers. Which again reminds me that that brought in another of your interests, driving. Yeah, that's true, Mac. Although in Hell Drivers, I'd drive a lorry full of ballast. I'd rather be driving a fast motor car. But uh, in this film, I think I had one of the best scraps I've ever had on the screen. I got involved with a character called Patrick McGoon, who happens to be a bit of a tough boy himself. And uh, he plays in the film the pace setter of the unit. I, my, our paths cross at one time in the film, and we have a scrap. During the making of the film, my boxing didn't uh, do me much good because both Pat and myself came out with various bruises and various loose teeth. <laughs> well, let's have a look at Stanley and Patrick McGowan dishing it out on the screen. You, I'm talking to you. I'm uh, not talking to the yellow belly. If he wants to find out why his pay was stopped, ask Ed. Ed? Yeah. He's stopping, right? Who put this on Tom? Uh, you mean on Yellow Belly? Me. I'm the road foreman. Yeah. And that's not all you are. What else am I? You scum.
Right, Tony, do you want to have a quick look at IMDb and see if there's any trivia that we've missed? Wow. We've got, although Stanley Baker had played major supporting roles in films to great acclaim for several years, this was the first time he played a lead role in a movie. Didn't realise that. Wow. I always thought he was a leading man from day one. Um, That's interesting, because he then goes on to to star in lots and lots of movies from now on then. That's great, okay. Uh, We've covered that Patrick McGowan and Stanley Baker were both considered for the role of James Bond. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, David McCullum. Oh, and Stanley Baker. There you go. I didn't realise Stanley Baker was considered for yeah. James Bond. Uh, David McCullum met his wife Jill Ireland during there the filming. Yeah. Uh, Tom says that he is from a place not far from Cardiff called Wales. Oh, from a place from Cardiff called Wales. Called, yeah, called Wales. <laughs> called Blien. <laughs> what is it when he says that? He says, I'm from Blenlach or whatever he says. Yeah, something like that, Sid yeah. James goes, bless you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is sort of shit hard to Which is a small village set on a mountain in South Wales. In actual fact, Stanley Baker was from Ferndale, which is a village that Blien looks down on. Paul <laughs> wow. Yard, contrary to some reports on the internet, was actually built on Pinewood Studios' back lot, just to the north of H-Stage. This approximately where the massive 007 stage stands today. So the yard is actually on Pinewood set. Yeah, and it's now 007 stage. It's incredible, sort of like the links that we yeah. get into James Bond here, isn't it? Um, six of the actors who play supporting roles in the film became well-known in the 1960s for their role in film and television. Yep. Sean Connery, Dr. No, 1962. And five of its sequels, Patrick McGowan, Danger Man, yep. Secret Agent and The Prisoner. Uh, William Hartnell was obviously Doctor Who Doctor and Who. Carry On. Well, he was, yeah, the following year, the Carry On, wasn't it? 58. Yeah, yeah. Carry On Sergeant. David McCullum, the man from Uncle, Sid James, obviously the Carry everything, On. Everything, that everything. Everything, yeah. Herbert Lom, A Shot in the Dark. A Shot in the Dark, that's the second Pink Panther movie. And sequels. Yeah. Um, the Trucks are 1955 Dodge 100 Q, a.k.a. Parrot Nose Models. Right. They were made in Kew, Greater London, from 1949 to 1957. There you go, so now we know what the trucks are. That is Tony's trivia. <laughs> Tony's trivia. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure there'll be a jingle for that soon. Oh, I'll have to come up with something, mate. <laughs> it's really naff. The Terry and June theme. Is that what you want? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, if that's what you want, that's what you're having. So that's L Driver's Toe from 1957. Let's take a short break and we'll be back with what we're watching next time. Okay, Tony, next time, it's not going to be your choice, it's not going to be mine, it's a listener's choice, once again. Da-da-da-da! And I've got to include this, because it is my dear friend and my work colleague, and she will not be happy if we don't include it, I promised her we'll do it, it's for Sue Chiney. Hi, Sue. This Hello, Sue. Is we're going to do her choice. We're going back to 1942. Ooh. Interestingly, it's directed by Noel Coward and David Lean. Oh, okay. Three years before they were involved in Brief Encounter. Right. Okay. And it's also got, let me see, I'm sure there's a couple of people from Brief Encounter. Celia Johnson's in it as well. 
Okay. Also, Noel Coward stars in the movie John Mills. Okay. Who you're aware of. Bernard Miles. You'll know him when you see him. We'll talk about Bernard Miles when we do the review. Celia Johnson. It's a war film. The IMDb synopsis says it's a story of a ship, the British destroyer HMS Torin, which is told in flashbacks by the survivors as they cling to a life raft. Oh. Now, this is how Sue described it to me. She said, what's that famous black and white war movie where they're all in life rafts and their story is being told in flashback? And I didn't know. So we spent like half an hour like frantically going through the internet trying to find this movie. <laughs> and I don't think I've seen it. Okay, I don't think I have. I don't think you've seen it either. No. Um, 7.3 on IMDb. Oh, so it's going to be quite a good one. Hopefully then. it should be quite good. I mean, they didn't let us down with Briefing Curtain. No. It's got John Mills in it, which has got to be good anyway, hasn't it? So let's see how we go. In which we serve 1942 next time. Tony? Thank you very much again, sir. Thank you. It's been emotional as always. As always. I will see you next week, week after, hopefully. With any luck. Cheers, mate. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.